Hello and welcome to the Real World HR podcast, the podcast which is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, HR expert, chartered CIPD professional and founder of award-winning HR consultancy Oculus HR. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people and business and tell the stories that we've learned from and explain the processes that we've supported the solutions. This episode features Steve Rawlinson, founder and group CEO of recruitment company Samuel Knight International. Steve has scaled his business to a multi-million pound global success, earning multiple awards and employing over 100 people. This is all while being a full-time single parent to two children, implementing an extensive CSR strategy, achieving an MBA and studying for a master's degree. On the podcast, we explore what it takes to scale a business with the successes while prioritising people to build happy and high-performance teams. Are you ready to step in the real world of HR? Well, thanks very much, Steve, for, for coming along today. Really looking forward to, to our conversation there. Do you want to do a little bit of an intro, kind of who you are, what you're doing um, from a business point of view, and, and I suppose, in essence, your success of how you've got to this multi-million pound business? So I'm Steve Rawlinson, CEO, founder of Samunite International. Um, we're a specialist engineering construction recruitment company, specifically for the renewable energy and sustainable transportation sectors. Founded the business in 2014, so it seems quite a long time ago now. We now have a group of companies. Inside that group is Samunite Technology, um, Samunite Rail, Samunite Energy, and Samunite Projects. And essentially, we support our clients with technical manpower, project manpower solutions, and professional recruitment solutions. Brilliant. So you started back, so it'll be kind of nine years ago. Ten years next year. Ten years next year. And so will you be celebrating the ten years? I'm sure the guys, I'm sure the staff are going to want, want to have a big party. I don't know whether or not I can uh, I can um, compete with the youngsters in my business anymore. Yes, but they will be definitely having a party. There'll be some type of party that takes place yeah. there as well. So uh, as you've just said, that you've obviously broke down that you, the business is made up of kind of several different parts yeah. of it. Is that, when we talk about real, is that because that's the real element of the recruitment or is that the way that the business um, is set up? Set it up? was um, when I originally founded the business, it was just Samyonite Energy. And about a year into the business trading, a client for me who had been in, worked with him for about 10 years. And um, it was, the project was actually electrifying railway lines. It was a, one of the UK's biggest electrifi- electrification projects. And it was called GWIM, Great Western Route Modification. So he gave us an opportunity to pitch for that. Through about a three-week process, we actually secured the contract. But it didn't, it couldn't fall under Samunite Energy. So we had to create a new brand. I remember sitting there and, and just creating this kind of um this page on my website and just called it Samunite Rail. And then from there, we uh, we secured the contract and it it kind of grew. Um within 12 months, it'd gone from a startup to generating around four and a half million. And uh, my background's energy. I didn't know that much about rail. So we uh, we brought in a team move from a chap called Rob Enright, who joined the business after about a year of trading. And uh, he's taken that business now from a team of essentially three people to now he's got a team of about 20 people headquartered down in Bristol. They've just launched in the US as well. So they're coming on the back of the Samunite Energy business in the US. And then the other groups of the business, again, you know, I don't want to shoot down any entrepreneurs, but as I was saying before, everything that is the, the businesses that we've got within the group are through circumstances or an opportunity that I've seen. So, for example, Samunite Projects, we had a major project, Wind Farm, over in Switzerland called Marabeni. Client phoned us and said, look, you want to take on more of the work. What we want you to do is do their self-perform of the work. Samunite Energy couldn't really do that. Um, so what we did is 
well, what I did is I created a new company and created a separate entity called Sammy Knight Projects. And essentially what that does now is that self-performs wind farm operations and maintenance services. And within 12 months, it's gone from a startup to this year, north of 5 million in gross profit. Yeah. But that was that was an opportunity that I saw. Um, and I kind of thought, you know what, this looks like a good opportunity. Let's go with it. And, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it works, it works. Um, Sammy Knight Energy was obviously their first initial business, which I founded. That's now sitting at 80 people. And it's based in Newcastle, London, and Dallas, Chicago, and Boston. And then Sammy Knight Tech is the brand new business. So we launched that in September last year. Again, I was approached by somebody who had a really good technology business. I just said, let's let's go with it. Let's, let's see if there's an opportunity there. Yeah. So... Maybe I am an entrepreneur. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could be. Maybe yeah. I am. I don't know. <laughs> You're still practicing. Yeah, I'm still, still trying. Practicing. I don't look at myself as an entrepreneur. That's the thing. Everyone, everyone says, oh, Steve, you're a great entrepreneur. And I see these pieces and these articles and I'm like, I'm, I'm not really. I don't look at myself like that. I just yeah. have a job. Uh, you know? yeah. I have a job that I love doing. It's like a hobby. And... I'm always open-minded and I'm very, very optimistic. Yeah. So if someone approaches me, I'm kind of like the yes man. Yeah, I'm like, can, okay, let's I do it. I can make that work. Yeah. I'm just going to set the business up, set up a small kind of recruitment business and off off I go. And then, but obviously what you're really saying there is that obviously these things have kind of rolled on and the opportunities have come along. So you, even if you'd had a plan, you wouldn't have had those things rolled into it, would no, you? No, you wouldn't. No, not um, kind of day one, nine years ago, you wouldn't have thought, well, actually we'll have a real a project. You know, a, a, if I someone had said to that. me nine years ago, Go, this is where Samuel Knight will be in nine years. I would have laughed him out of the room. You know, how long I'd been I'd been in the industry for 10 years before I set up on my own. And I'd and I'd progressed from trainee consultant all the way up to managing director level. Working in big corporates is quite a stressful job. Yeah. Like you've got huge KPIs to achieve, you've got massive budget. You know, the amount of pressure that they put on you as a managing director is huge. The reason I set up Samuel Knight was because I saw a change and a shift in the biz in the in the industry where clients that had worked with for near on 10 years, they needed flexibility. And they were, they, and because I was like their, their confident, like they looked at me as like an extension to their own internal HR recruitment policies. I think, I think I got to the point of after about maybe five years where I thought, right, okay, I need some sort of plan here. Especially when you create the culture that Samuel Knight's got, because the culture is, even though, we went from five staff to a hundred staff. The culture is still like a family environment. Even when people first start the business, they're like, oh my God, like there's no individuals in the business. No one has separate offices. Like I'm, you know, okay, I'm the CEO and I'm the founder, but I sit right in the middle of the office. The guys can approach me anytime. You know, I'm there with them every working day. I go to the US and I sit with my US business. I go to um, Bristol, I sit with them. And it is like a, a family culture where we all believe in what we're trying to create now. And that essentially is for us, is to create one of the best companies in the world to work for. And, you know, I couldn't be any prouder. So when you kind of, you know, that cultural point of thing, because when you set a business up, culture isn't, hot on the agenda. It's yeah. not kind of not on the to-do list, is it? You know, I would imagine the culture's become something that you wanted it to be as the business grown. You've started off with a couple of people in an yeah. office with you, and then you've kind of obviously recruited another couple of people and you got to five and then it, then it grew yeah. significantly. Do you recruit different people based upon the culture of the business now to what you would have done when yes, you first set up? Yes, very much so. Yeah. Okay. When I, when I, when we started the business, we didn't have, a, I didn't have a plan. Then that changed over the years. And what got me, as soon as I started thinking, okay, I've got a business here and this, you know, this is serious now because I'm employing 20, 25 people. You, you can either look at change management 
You can look at culture, you can look at vision, your vision, you can look at your values. And the values for me had to come from me. And the team that we had in year one, year two, year three, would they fit the values that we've got today where we hire off? No, probably not. Looking back on the 10 year journey now, you have a lot of work to do, even though you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. With like, you know, hiring good people, creating a good vision, creating a good leadership team, creating good values and and making sure that them values are alive in the business. It's not just a plaque on the wall. And then, you know, having a mission. Where are we going? What's his why? I mean, we didn't start looking at all of this stuff until about year five. Because again, one of the things that I've never been shy away from doing is hiring really good people, hiring people that are better than me at certain things and delegating to people. You get certain kind of managed owned CEO businesses, the CEO or the managing director, whatever you want to call it. And it's like a bottleneck and they want to control everything because yeah. it's more like a lifestyle business. And there's a few businesses that I know and I work with that are like that. When I when I created the plan of Samuel Knight, when I thought started thinking, okay, we've got something of real scale here, that's when I started thinking, right, who are who are gonna be my wingmen? Have I got the right leadership team to take us where we need to get to? And if we haven't, how do I get that? Like, how do we push this business forward? And as soon as you get that, we outsourced it. We brought in some amazing people that helped us with that. Everything changes. You go from being this kind of managed own business to actually having not a corporate, I wouldn't say corporate. We have KPIs, but it's more about, it's more about their outputs rather than the inputs. And we, we give them that trust and autonomy to be successful in the business because we're all in the same boat. And if we hire people on values, then every everything kind of clicks to get fits together. Yeah. But that that only started happening after about year five, year six. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's the point when it, I'm just interested in that element because I think that's the point when it does start happening, isn't it? Because yeah. you set a business up and you you start running and you you ultimately think about clients. You think about you know the client element, the getting the money in, getting the support, being yeah. able to pay your bills, kind of building the business. And then afterwards, as you say, you get to a certain point. For you, it's been quite a trigger point to be able to think, well, actually, yeah, that's I now need to think about the culture, but. I'm a big believer that actually once you've got the culture identified and the values identified and underpinned into the business, and then you can make sure that you recruit the right people to be able to... I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. The best companies that we work for, and you you know, we're in one of the fastest growing market sectors. People try and obviously follow suit on Samuel Knight and say, you know, we do renewable energy, but we do loads of other things as well in terms of some of our competitors. Mm-hmm. We're in one of the fastest growing market sectors and there's a lot of startups in our industry as well. So what we do is we support them through that journey of these are the things that are going to be really important. And the key one that we say to our clients is make sure that you get the right values of your yeah. business. Because if you get your values right at the start, then essentially what you can do is you can go out there and hire people that are going to be on that journey with you, hopefully for a long time. Yeah. If I'd have done that, looking back on over the, the nine years that I've had Samuel Knight, if I'd have got the values nailed, I'd have probably been a lot further forward than where I am today. Yeah, mm-hmm. because you've created the right culture that people want. But people are buying into it at the very beginning on day one. Absolutely. You know, from a recruitment point of view, if you're if the clients are putting out there exactly who they are, who they represent, kind of the way that they work, people mm-hmm. know what they're getting. Clients like that as well. Clients mm-hmm. want to try and align their values with your values because, again, there's recruitment companies out there, service providers out there that, you know, it's all about the quick book it's not like that for us you know we we've got clients that have worked for samuel knight now from day dot and and this and i mean they really do look at us as an integral part of their recruitment process yeah. and these aren't small you know these aren't small smes we 
out they outsource so much work to us to support them because they know that our values align with their values as well so it means that actually we're not just going to find somebody that's just a bum on a seat that person will have the same motivations and aspirations as your business he will scale and grow your department as you scale and grow and help you grow as a business as well because ultimately you know that's what businesses want to do isn't it businesses in the renewable sector they all want to grow anyway yeah mm-hmm. but you can only do that if you've got the right people. if you've got the right people to be able to do it and do you think you recognize that early doors that you needed the right people to enable a business to work um i had good people mm-hmm. but they were they, they were they were probably more focused on their own individual needs rather than the needs of the business which is fine yeah. mm-hmm. if you're sitting there as a major you know as a big business but when you're only a small business but i guess the reason that we had people that were focused purely on their own kind of earning potential was because there wasn't a plan in place. So they were just doing the day-to-day. After a couple of years, as soon as I started thinking, actually, we've got something special here, that's when I started thinking, right, I need to make sure that we're hiring the right people to help us take the business forward. And now our average length of service, so we've been going for nine years, and our average length of service in Samuel Knight now is about, Six and a half years. Right, okay. I was going to ask kind of what your retention rate's like. Yeah, yeah. about six and a half years, I would say. But, but, I mean, yeah, six and a half years, seven years. Well, that in essence has helped you in the recruitment business, hasn't it? You know, you kind of realising that the culture and the values are a major piece of it. Then has helped you with your clients to, as you said, you want your clients to align not just with your values, but that they understand theirs, which enables them to recruit their you get the right people in the business as opposed to a bum on a seat or someone who just kind of fits in with the role just yeah. because, you know, he, that person will do, you know. Well, look, clients clients who use us, they're, they're essentially putting either their trust in us to supply full project manpower solutions, which is us essentially supplying our contractors. And now I think it's sitting at around 570 contractors. And knowing that actually they need to be able to do the job that we need them to do, but also have the right capabilities and the right attitude for work in that client's project. But on the professional recruitment services side, 100% the values of the candidates that we place have to mirror and match the aspirations of the clients. Otherwise, what tends to happen is you place a candidate, you charge it, you know, obviously there's a, there's a fee attached to that. Um, and the last thing you want is six months, 12 months down the line, the client phoning up and saying this individual's left. Our retention on our client placements, on professional placements is 94%. Retention on it. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Which helps from their business point of view, but also to, to generate more business into your business, doesn't it? Yeah. M- most of our business, if I'm honest, is, um, is, is retained work. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's clients that we've worked with for a long time. We, we obviously still have a business development team, but our clients' growth plans, you know, it goes way beyond the next 10 years. And I'm not talking one or two vacancies. I'm talking, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vacancies. Yeah. And in some cases, even, you know, thousands. I would imagine that... that- Ability to be able to do that's built into kind of the cultural part of you yep. bringing people into your business there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from the point of view of obviously set up in the US, so how did you, how did you then enable you had the right people there? Because obviously it's at a distance, you're not dealing with the the day to day. Are you? You know, kind of it's difficult to have a remote culture, isn't it? You know, you've got what you've got here in Newcastle, but then actually, you know, to to move that to Chicago and to Dallas, it's like how do you, how have you ensured that that? So we launched the US in the middle of COVID. Which everyone, which which everyone thought we were bonkers at doing. Um, again, there was no plan to launch the US when we launched it. Um, there was a plan to establish Samuel Knight in the US, but we were going to do it after COVID. We didn't. Obviously, no one really knew what COVID was going to bring to the the business world. We were working with a client in London who 
had seen an old post on LinkedIn from mine about being in Atlanta. Um, and he rang me up and he said, I've got a really difficult position to place in um, Dallas. It was a, a senior vice president of construction for wind farms and solar farms and um, major, major company, still a major client of ours now. And um, he said that he put it out to a US specialist recruitment company and they hadn't delivered anything. And they'd had the role for about four months, but he paid a significant amount of money. I'm talking north of 20,000 US dollars to retain this company and they haven't delivered on it. And because this person wasn't in place, there was essentially going to be penalties put on the company if they didn't hire this person quite quickly. So he phoned me up. I've known the business for years anyway, and we've done most of their recruitment throughout EMEA. And um, he said, look, I've got this SVP of construction in the US. Can you help me with it? And I was like, yeah. So he sent over the job spec. This is a client that I work with and I have done for quite a few years. And um, when I looked at the role, I was like, yeah, it's not going to be a problem. Would you take an expat? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I would you? So I phoned up a guy who I knew um, who was working for a client down in the South called Duzan Babcock. And I said, look, I've got this opportunity. I know that you said you were interested in going over to the US. Would you be interested in this role? It just so happens that we placed that individual within two weeks. So then I was like, okay, we've got, you know, I, I need some sort of plan here. Nine times out of 10, what tends to happen is situations arise and I kind of control that situation and go, okay, yeah. we can do this. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't go over there to do the recruitment Um to hire people for Samuel Knight. So we did everything remotely in COVID between me and four of the senior consultants in the business. And within seven months, that business alone had generated $10.7 million worth of revenue. It took Samuel Knight UK um, five years to achieve that. And we did it in seven months in the US. So obviously everyone at board level at Samuel Knight was kind of going, whoa, hang on. We we knew very little about how to work with US clients. The marketing strategy wasn't aligned. We used the powers of social media to generate a, a, a good candidate response. And within, like I say, within five months, we were doing north of a million dollars a month. And... Um, we ended up having about 220 contractors out working on this site. That's unbelievable growth, that though, isn't it? It's just Crazy. phenomenal. Well, we won an award for it. Uh-huh. And I remember winning Scale Up of the Year Award with the Entrepreneurs Forum. Oh, yes. Um, when we looked at his actual growth year on year for that particular year in COVID, uh-huh. I think we grew the business by nearly 40, 48%. And, and I remember getting interviewed by the Entrepreneurs Forum and them saying, how did you do? How did you grow in um, in COVID? And again, I was completely honest. And I said, listen, the plan, the, there was no plan. Uh, there was no strategy to grow in COVID. The strategy was to purely survive. Yeah. That was my only goal in COVID was let's survive and safeguard as many jobs as we possibly can. This is obviously before all the um, loans and the government yeah. help came out and the furlough schemes. And we grew within 40%. And then what we thought nearly 50%. So then as soon as COVID ended in that time, I was doing a lot of work, working on the business. So nine times out of 10 now, my job probably for the last four years is rather than working in the business, I work on it. Yeah. So I, it, it's strange. I can't even describe what it is. It's like, you've got this, this kind of like overview look of everything and you've got this like highlighter in your mind and you can like, you, you know where to highlight key yeah. things that you need to focus on and work on. I got an interview with the embassy and applied for an E2 status. So the board thought I was off me rocker. 
I said, look, we need to invest 250 grand into this business and become E2 status. And they were like, Steve, you might not even get it. So E2 status basically means that we have the freedom to hire people in the UK to send them to the US within two weeks. So we applied for the E2. And then it takes six months and then you've got to go down as the CEO entrepreneur had to go down, have an interview in the middle of COVID again still. And um, we achieved it. So then as soon as COVID ended, well, I still couldn't go over there. I was trying my hardest to get there and they just would not allow me to fly over there. To, to go back to your original question in terms of culture and growing the US, as soon as we'd gone through, we did, we built Samuel Knight in Samuel Knight USA in the UK. And then as soon as COVID ended, I shipped myself over there and um, I was there originally for a couple of months. And before you knew it, we were accepted into the renewable North American market sector. Now we work with some of the biggest companies in the world over there. And we've got a team of, what, 25 people in um, throughout Dallas, Chicago, and Boston. And that will probably be sitting at, I would say, 50 to 60 people by the end of 2024. We measure our success based on E2, um, sorry, on um, carbon emissions. So what impact have we had on the environment in terms of lowering? carbon emissions, because we can see if we've generated, you know, three or four gigawatts of renewable power, we know that that's had an, an, a, a, a big impact on um, carbon emissions for that particular year, because I genuinely care about the environment. I've got, you know, I've got two kids um, and uh, I kind of sat and thought, I love history. And I thought to myself, Christ, in a hundred years time, if if we carry on going the way that we're going, we're not, we might not even be able to inhabit the world. Um, and my kids' kids will feel that. And that, what I didn't want, and I know I'm only one person, but I know there's other people out there. There's lots of other people out there that genuinely care about the, the world and the environment where they can go, well, actually, if if we do go down this carbon neutral and zero carbon emissions by 2050, and we genuinely care about that. So your growth isn't necessarily, obviously you can measure your growth around the number of extra people that you've got within the business and financially, but your your area is around kind of the the energy. Start with your why. Yeah. Always, look, I, from any of the books that I've read, it's always, if you start with your why, everything else will come. Obviously, my shareholders, you know, they, they measure success on <laughs> profitability. <laughs> on, on the pounds in the bank. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, we, as I say, we, you know, we've got an institutional investor in the business. We raised investment in 2018, I think it was, 2018 or 2009, I can't actually remember. Um, but they're more like a silent investor. They don't have a seat on the board. Um, they don't get involved in the business. But obviously, they invested money at that point, and they want to return on that. So yeah. they measure the success of Samuel and I based on EBIT mm -hmm. and based on profitability of the, the business. And we always invest the profits back into the business, so mm -hmm. the EBIT is there, and we've got a, a, you know we've got a good EBIT, and we're, we're growing every year. Um, but for for me personally, no, mm -hmm. I don't measure the success of the business on 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 revenue because mm -hmm. that comes revenue yeah. comes if you start with your why revenue will come uh -huh. yeah then it'll fit in together so when when we're thinking about um the people that you've got in your business obviously you've mm -hmm. you've enabled the the business scrum we've talked about um the culture of the business how it's impacted upon the people that you've brought into the business how have you then looked at how you can build the team so obviously you've you've got people that have come in at kind of that um like the key relationship manager type level. And then you've obviously, you, you explained the kind of the structure that you've got underneath. How have you um, ensured that you can have that retention rate that you've got, which is kind of the six to seven years, but built kind of the high performing teams? What, is there something in particular that you've done around that? Or is that just something things. naturally evolved? Um, it's not naturally evolved. No, we had to we had to be focused on it. Um, so number one is create a good culture. And, and I think that culture needs to be focused on trust, Number one, fun. And all the guys that we're, all the people, all the employees at Samuel Knight, they're all quite fun people. 
um, I don't think they'd think I'm fun anymore, but make sure that the leadership team that is in place is supportive, encouraging, um, can motivate you, can motivate the team. And they they think about their employees rather than themselves. And everyone who sits in a senior leadership position of Samuel Knight mirror my values. And that is, there's no I's and there's no me's in the business. There's only we's. Every single managing director, we've got uh, four managing directors in the business and then probably the same uh, business development director. And then the C-suite is obviously me. We're just about to hire a COO and we've got a CFO. All the senior management team, I hired them all. So they all mirror my values and they all mirror in terms of my aspirations. So I know that they've created... Um, a really good learning and development process for new hires that come in. They all all believe in the the culture. The, we keep that culture as well. And it is a supportive team working culture because I'm a great believer in people don't leave businesses, they leave managers. And I think it is because obviously now you have a plan. It's that yeah. forward thinking part of actually if we put that structure in place that and it will enable the business to be able to grow yeah. by bringing the right people in and... Exactly. But it's, but it's also interesting kind of taking someone from kind of a graduate level and them and them understanding that there's opportunities for growth within there because I think and it's and, and, and it's amazing to see yeah. them grow professionally and personally as yeah. well yeah yeah uh-huh. and I think well one of the things when you talk about the leadership team there before obviously you talk you you look at um the cultural part and the values and you recruit around that but you also must look as your your leadership team we've just done some um some disc profiling for one of our businesses who've had a bit of a, t- bit of a tough couple of years and they've just brought together a new leadership team and we've done some profiling and kind of seen where everybody fits in it which is really good and They've, they have kind of gelled together so well to be able to do it. So do you obviously think about kind of the personalities that the people are as well when you've, especially within that leadership team? Because you look at the values, don't you? And, but then, you know, kind of whether they're, um, I don't know, kind of, um, you know, looking at someone who can influence or whether it can be somebody who's... We're all quite similar. There was, there was a few that were a bit off the spectrum, but I like that. Yeah. You know, I like weird. And uh, I'm not calling this guy. <laughs> Dave, Dave might be saying that. He's weird. Um, he's, he's, it's not weird. He's just a very um, intense individual. Yeah. The leadership team and the management team are something like, you know, we did these personality tests. We were all quite similar, but if you, but that's what a piece of paper says in yeah. a machine. You'd have to, you'd, you answer a few questions on this machine and it kicks out your personality profile. And he said that we're all quite similar. Like I know every single one of these people because I've worked with them for seven years. I know yeah. I know them inside and out and yeah. there is no way we're all, we're, we're all similar. We yeah. are, all very very different um you know you've got you've got one of the mds who's quite pragmatic in his approach and he's quite he's that laid back he's lying down sometimes never gets angry he's never had a fight he doesn't raise his voice at all um but he's an unbelievable guy and then you've got another person who's like really 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 optimistic too optimistic and just doesn't know his numbers from his arse to his elbow and it's kind of like you, you have to rein him in a little obviously i think you know I'm, i might be a little bit off the spectrum and a bit wild and i'm always hype here but the guys love that same with the clients if a client says this is the way that is this is what i want i'll, I'll go and do it and, and i know the guys know that so there's always actions we're always moving forward and that's what i say in the board meeting is as long as we're moving forward every single month and we're getting better then we're moving the business forward and i'm sure that's probably the same for for other businesses who have been startups and now they're not startups it's kind of like if everyone was the same would would a business scale it's it's just a different number at the end of the day isn't it i don't how how we scale samuel knight in year nine is probably exactly the same way that we scaled it in year six the only difference being 
is the end number is yeah. different if we achieve that scale. Yeah. It, 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 once you get the formula, because that's all it is really. It's a formula. We're a service-based service company. So for us, we know that we need to hire well, train well, and retain mm -hmm. that talent to carry on growing. And we seem to be doing okay. That's yeah. the magic formula. Mm -hmm. it's, there's no, it's not rocket science. If you're a service-based company and you're not a product and you haven't got a product, for me, the formula is your people. Hire really good people. Talk about your vision and your mission all the time so it's clear and you will scale. You will scale. We, we, we love scaling. We're, every single year, apart from COVID, we sat and said, right, how big are we going? So kind of thinking about moving forward, and we've touched on this already, obviously, um, your mission is to help build a greener and more environmentally friendly world yeah. uh, by working within the global community um, to achieve the carbon zero carbon emissions by 2050. Um, why is the goal so important to you? So you said there earlier on that you, uh, you know, it's, it's a passion of yours. You, you talked about kind of your children and the, the, yeah. your children having children. Why? Wh what's kind of the driver behind that? Um, I think it's change at the end of the day. You know, there's a lot of talk about um, climate change and the world being, you know, a lot different place in the next 100 years. Look, if you think of it like this, the Industrial Revolution, what, 110 years ago, that cr grew a stronger economy and created prosperous prosperity for modern-day families at the time. Fast forward 100 years in the future, and where we sit now, we we you know we talk about inspiring people like David Attenborough, educating us on what potentially the world could look like in another hundred years. And in another hundred years, my kids are still one. The 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 chances are that you know they're going to have children, and their children will their children could have children as well. So that's a that's a a generation of my own family. So that's why it's important to me from that perspective. And then from another perspective is, you know, it's it will change at the end of the day. Um, climate change, it's not fake. There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there saying it's not real and when do you measure climate change from? And the fact of the matter is the world's heating up. I'm 40 years old. We now have a, I've never remember summers like we get now as a child. You'd have, you'd have a couple of weeks of maybe warm weather, but you can pretty much guarantee now that the UK is going to have a summer. And you can see from the, the, the world, icebergs are melting and whatnot. So the world is getting warmer. And I think having that kind of goal of making a difference, well, if I could make a difference, then why wouldn't I? Yeah, it's been a big driver behind what it is that you're doing, which comes back to your cultural point of getting the right people who believe in the same things as well. Mm -hmm. um, just a couple of questions that we always like to ask people is, what's your biggest piece of advice for a business owner or manager that they can realistically implement to build a high-performance, happy team while scaling the business? Surround yourself with good people. And I would probably say the final bit of advice, don't be afraid of raising finance for your business yeah. debt or equity both situations within samuel knight there was a less there was a lot of scaremongering that would have potentially stopped me from raising a debt facility and then after my debt facility because that obviously helps with making you cash rich and with your working capital and then from a debt facility raising equity again a lot of scaremongering oh you know if you raise equity steve They'll kick you out of the company in a year's time. They'll take your company and sell it. I couldn't have asked for a better equity provider. Like literally someone believed in me and my management team and gave us north of 2 million quid 
at four years old to help us grow our US business. And they're an unbelievable investor. So I would say don't be afraid of raising finance. Fantastic. And so where can listeners find out any more about you? Steve Rawlingson on LinkedIn. Um, it's Steve, not Stephen. Well, thank you very much for, for coming in. I really appreciate it. So thank you to everyone for listening to the Real World HR podcast. And a big thank you for Steve for joining us today. You can find out more information about the things that we've discussed in this episode in the show notes. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And please do leave us a rating and a review. Real World HR, putting the human back into HR.